The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It sure is. It is uh, six minutes after seven o'clock, and we call him Stan the Man. Stan Feinselberg is in this evening, taking your uh, taking your calls and giving you the answers. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred is the number. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Lines are open. Bring it on. This is a live employment law show, as we do on Wednesday evenings. You want to send an email along? We're going to get to a pile of those as well. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I know we'll probably reference uh, several times throughout the evening, uh, but I'll give it to you right now so you can have a look. PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. That is a free website full of employment law knowledge. It is completely anonymous. You can contact uh, the firm from that. If not, just use it. Walk away anonymous and uh, have it by your your side on your uh, your desktop or your tablet or your cell anytime you want to check it out. PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. Tons of stuff there. Uh, let's get right into this, uh, Stan. My brother, what, uh, what do you got going on this week for the week that was yeah uh, well for the week that was i actually want to talk about what's happening right now and what i specifically mean is what's coming up on friday which is the end of the deemed infectious disease emergency leave period so as people may recall back, uh, back on may 29th our government passed some emergency measures to ensure that uh, companies had a bit more flexibility of what with what they can do with their workforce. Mm -hmm. And so what the government did is pass these regulations that basically said that if you were laid off or your wages were reduced or your hours were reduced and those reductions were related to COVID or technically any infectious disease, uh, then from the period of March up until six weeks after the declaration of emergency ended, You were no longer technically laid off, and you technically couldn't take action against your employer, at least not through the Ministry of Labor. Uh, Essentially, the government put a pause on all layoffs and said that the the companies had the flexibilities to do this for a certain period of time while everyone kind of figured out what's going on with this pandemic. And so, as we all kind of know by now, the emergency declaration ended, at least for the purposes of these regulations, on July 24th, and the six-week period comes due on September 4th. So that means that after September 4th, if employees have had their hours reduced or have had their salary reduced or have been laid off, all of the old rules when it comes to filing claims with the Ministry of Labor, you know, wage complaints saying that my employer is not allowed to reduce my hours at this point, or uh, wages at this point, or when the rules when it comes to layoffs, such as the fact that your employer may not have a legal right to lay you off just because the act says that an employer has a right to lay you off. We all know by now that doesn't actually mean that your contract or the employment relationship means that they have a right to lay you off. And those all come back into effect, essentially, and give employees the right to claim constructive dismissal at that point. So there are huge changes coming on the landscape just over the horizon that employers and employees need to be fully aware of. What happens if these employers that are under this uh, do nothing? Will it be just steady as you go or they got to look for more employment or what's their option? So uh, what, what happens for the employers? Yeah, I mean, if they, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we certainly the presumption is always that employers know the law, right? right they, yeah. they, you, you can't. Ignorance is not an excuse when it comes to these things. If you employ people, if you run a business in Ontario, you need to be certain that you know what what these regulations mean for your business. And what it will likely mean for a lot of businesses, they are going to have to make some decisions when it comes to their workforce. It may mean that they decide to put people on layoffs now because arguably, and this is you know one of those discussions we're having in the employment law bar, is whether you're allowed to put a person back on layoff or not, or whether you actually have to recall that person to work. Because other sections of the act say that if you have a leave of absence, that person has a job, uh, their job protected during that period of time or to a large extent, and you have to actually bring them that, back to that job and all, or a comparable job. What it means in the context of these regulations, again, it's not entirely clear, but there are certainly you know, arguments to be made that employers have to bring those employees back. So again, I mean, I think there's a lot of tough decisions that employers are going to have to make. At this point, can the employer, now that this emergency order is over, say I work for uh, you know Joe and Joe at this point saying, you know what, I know it's it, it's been a long time, not a good time, but I'm going to keep you on layoff. Can I now turn to Stan and say, Stan, get me out of here. I want to get my severance. Well, basically the old, the rules of the, of layoffs that we had pre-COVID times, right. I, I would say apply now. So essentially, unless you have a contract that says that your employer can lay you off, or unless you've previously been laid off and they brought you back and you've been essentially given them that authority, yeah. then they more than likely do not have the right to lay you off. And that's a constructive dismissal of law. If that happens to anyone, you know, they can give us a call and we can walk them through their options. By the way, to give uh, Stan or a member of his team a call at the uh, the office, the firm, you could do that anytime, one 821 5900 is the number. I'll give that out throughout the uh, the evening as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But right here, right now, our top priority always is getting you on the show and asking your questions. We'll do exactly that. John, thanks for standing by for a couple minutes. How are you, pal? Good, thank you. I've Good. got a quick question here. When you're filling out application online, um, or You're a little unclear there, John. Yeah. Want to start that again for us? We still got him. Sorry, sorry, John. Yeah, give it to us. Yeah, give it to us again from the top. Okay, when you're filling out an application, uh, they can't ask you your date of birth, but they can ask you when you graduated university or when you graduated high school, and they've got clauses in there that say if you. Mm, they can go. fire you. Is that identifying your age, not age discrimination? Again, I mean, it's a difficult question because ultimately they're not allowed to make any sort of determinations about your qualifications for the job if it's related to your age. And that's why, obviously, they can't ask for the information you identified. At the same time, I mean, they certainly are allowed to know what your educational background is. And oftentimes, as you also mentioned, that's obviously going to give them at least a strong indication of, of what your age really is. So, again, it's not quite, quite black and white. I mean, unless you're able to prove that, you're, uh, that the, they didn't get the job because of your age in some way, whether it's even 1% of the decision, it could be really hard to establish that they discriminated against you on the basis of age just because they saw your educational background. Okay, thank you. I just thought I'd bring it up. 
Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. It was a, a good call. If you want to have a further conversation with Stan or a member of the team, that's uh, that's no problem. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca and the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's where you want to go as far as that is concerned. And as I've mentioned before, off the top, you want more information about so much having to do with uh, employment law and your rights. You want to go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Let's move down to an email. As promised, we're going to get to a bunch of these, but you can still call. you got uh, tons of time. 416-870-6400 is the number, so bring it on. In the meantime, Jackson writes in and says, Hey, Stan, I've been at my current job for 13 and a half years as a delivery driver in the city. They recently told me that my route would be changed for the first time, and the new route would add about two hours to my daily commute. Do I have to accept this change as I feel they're trying to force me to quit? Yeah. I mean, that certainly sounds like they are trying to force you to quit because it's pretty uh, pretty un- unreasonable, it seems, to, that they would try to change your route for the first time in 14 years without really giving much reasoning behind it. And obviously, if it increases your daily commute time by that much, you know, that could be considered a fundamental change that nobody has to accept. And ultimately, that may be a large enough change that's a constructive dismissal. So certainly, Jackson, I would say you may not have to accept that. You can give us a call. We'll get some more details from you and have a discussion about what your rights are. Is there, when it comes to something, well, we'll use Jackson's example off the top. When it comes to uh, change of location of job or or, or the uh, the lengthening of your commute time, is there kind of a threshold? Is it a percentage? How much further? Because, I mean, if, if you and I have the same job, work at the same place, but you take the bus and I drive, I mean, naturally your commute should take longer, so it might be a different different metric. But is there a is there an over-under uh, that you use as far as when it reaches the threshold of becoming a potential a constructive dismissal? Well, John, like so much of law, there are no real red lines or thresholds when it comes to this stuff. You know, the legal tests often turn on the question of reasonableness. And and you just gave a great example of, as to why that is. You might be able to drive, you know, you might be able to drive to work, whereas I may not be able to drive to work for various reasons and have to commute. And and ultimately, if the location changes, it may affect the person who commutes, you know, having to change buses multiple times, going into the subway for the first time, what have you significantly more than a person who can dr- who has their own vehicle can drive to work. So again, that's why we don't have these necessarily red lines of, okay, one hour extra commute time, that's constructive dismissal. We have to look at the specifics of the individual we're talking about. And it may be that one hour for one person may be completely fine. And for another person may be completely unreasonable and constructive dismissal. Ultimately, I think it's just about the facts as they are in the specific case. And, and thinking about it from the question of, is it reasonable to impose this change on this person knowing there's particular limitations and restrictions? Again, why it's so important to reach out if you have any other questions uh, for the hour that we're not on the air, one 821 5900 is the way to get a hold of Stan and the rest of the crew. But here, now you got some time, you've got a forum. Uh, bring it on as we continue here, 416-870-6400. Get one more email before we slide into a quick break. This one's going to be Tiffany. She says, guys, I was asked to reduce my salary by 25% during covid they said it would last until the end of August, but now want to extend it till the end of the year. I agreed to the first extension, but don't want to agree to the second ones as, as I don't think I can afford to. Am I required to accept it, or can I do something about it? 
Yeah, this is something I've heard a lot from uh, from clients, Sean, about people having their wages reduced during COVID. You know, oftentimes it has been by 25% to account for the wage subsidy with the government accounting for 75% right. of an individual's wages up to a certain level. So it's all, you know, we've had a lot of discussions about this with clients and people. And, you know, oftentimes what we've told people to do is to just say, okay, well, if you want to agree to this, because people are generally understanding as well, they know that companies are hurting, you know, but at least, you know, don't agree to it indefinitely. Tell them that you'll agree for some limited period of time and for the purposes of continuing your employment so that your employer doesn't try to terminate you during that period and use that uh, new salary or wage to as the rationale and basis for your severance. Uh, and now, again, now that a lot of times companies said this would end September, August, what have you, and it's being extended. And be- essentially, as long as you haven't agreed to it, the extension indefinitely, if you gave them some finite period of time when you expected your wages to bounce back, you you can still claim that that change is a constructive dismissal. And again, the question is ultimately going to be about the reasonableness of the change. You know, when we're talking about something as significant as 25%, you know, a, uh, basically a quarter of somebody's wages, mm-hmm. that's, you know, a, certainly a pretty high number. And I would very much say that's constructive dismissal. Let's take a short break, Stan, and we'll give you uh, you some time to pick up a phone and make that phone call. Get your questions answered. It's simple. It's free, and it'll uh, it'll fill your head with the proper knowledge, not the stuff your buddy Steve next door tells you. So make sure you want to call in and get it right. 416-870-6400. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue with the Wednesday night edition of the Employment Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back indeed. It is 722. Phone lines open for you. 416-870-6400. Stan Fainzelberg here to answer your questions for the remainder of the show. 416-870-6400. If it's uh, just a regular run-of-the-mill employment law severance question, that's fine. Bring it on. If it has to do with COVID-19, your temporary layoff, or going back to work and concerns about that stuff, you can uh, you can ask that as well. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca, so uh, feel free to use the phone and call us for the uh, the remainder of the show. We're going to get to uh, Jacob's email here, and there you are. It is related to COVID. It says, guys, can my employer terminate my employment during the COVID emergency? Yeah, uh, and the reality is, Jacob, that your employer does have the right to let you go during COVID. Um, Notwithstanding the regulations that were passed, they specifically said that it doesn't affect an employee's termination right. And so if your employer does let you go, you still do have the same rights to severance and termination pay. Uh, But ultimately, the the government and the courts are not going to tell your employer how to manage their workforce and if they got to cut expenses, if they got to cut costs, uh, then they can unfortunately cut you. Let me ask you this, and kind of a part two to that question, I'll put my lawyer hat on for this one. Would you uh, possibly throw it out there that because um, someone's being let go as a result of the COVID issues and the COVID pandemic, you would fight for enhanced severance for the fact that there could very well be, and there is, fewer jobs out there for people to go out and get, so you may need a bigger cushion till you find uh, employment. 
You know, that's a great point, John, because one of the, you know, the predominant factors when we are talking about a person's entitlements Mm -hmm. is the availability of future employment. And certainly a lawyer can make a pretty strong case that there is, this is probably the worst possible time to be terminated and looking for work. And if you can show that you've got made significant efforts to a court and that despite those efforts, you've gotten very little to show for it in return and no job, there are certain, you know, the court will definitely he- hear those arguments. And I think very much so agree that your notice period should be enhanced because the simple fact is there are less jobs and it will take people more time to find their next employment. 416-870-6400 is that number. Use it. Ask your questions. Tracy, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging on for a moment. Good evening. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. You bet. Go ahead. So I have, um, I'm calling on behalf of a friend. He works in retail. He is 62 years old. Um, he has been employed with the same company for uh, 21 years. He, when the store closed because of COVID, he was on, he was laid off. The store has since reopened, and he has not been called back. Um, when is the store has probably been reopened for about I don't know six eight weeks now? Um, when is an appropriate time for him to kind of say yes, I've been terminated, and to kind of ask for a severance? Well, certainly, you know, September 4th is an important deadline, as I was mentioning earlier about uh, in this exact context, because after September 4th, a lot of the regulations that protected employers during this COVID period are going to expire. And I would say at least by that point, your employer should have a game plan or should be contacting your friend to say what's going on with their job. Uh, at the same time, there's nothing, you know, it certainly, I, I think, makes a lot of sense for your friend to try to reach out to see if he is going to come back, because there's nothing wrong with pushing your employer and asking them, what is going on with my employment? Um, that said, it, assuming your friend hasn't been laid off before, and assuming he doesn't have a contract that ha- gives the company a right to lay them off, then really, no, as of, yeah, re- really, as of September 8th, He's in a position to claim that that's a constructive dismissal, that I never agreed to be laid off. I never agreed to give the company that much uh, authority. And I I think that's a significant change, and I think I have modus severance at this point. Okay, so September 8th is kind of the day that he can then contact his employer and say that he's owed severance. Well, he's con- he can certainly contact them and suggest that he's been constructively dismissed and work with them. Now, you know, off, you, you wouldn't, you're probably not going to be surprised that your employer is going to disagree with that perspective and say, no, we have a right to lay you off. Go check with the government website. And, you know, that's where the, a lawyer is very much needed in that situation to explain the law, not just to, you know, the client and the plaintiff, but also to the company and say, the, the, the Ministry of Labor, you know, act the regulation, that's not the entirety of the law here. They're, they may have a right to lay you off according to this act, but they don't have that right according to the common law. Okay. okay. Uh, so I, what I would suggest, Tracy, is that you tell your friend to give us a call uh, sometime next week, and we'd be happy to talk to him and, tell, uh, and walk him through what his options are. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate your time, Tracy. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, you're a good pal. The number, by the way, is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Stan and the crew. But just like Tracy, uh, the number for you four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. That's why. Just make that call, man. Clear stuff up in in just a matter of minutes, and uh, give you some uh, some peace of mind. You know, it's it's interesting. Tracy's friend there uh, worked there for what you say twenty one years, sixty two yeah. years old. That is a significant uh, severance package, depending on his, his salary and of course his job position. But that's that, that could be pretty beefy. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, again, in talking about what a terrible time to lose your job in retail, you know, uh, as another factor that would weigh heavily on the court to increase that package. You know, I can see a person like that getting anything from 22, 24 months easily. Yeah, and being 62, I mean, nothing wrong with being 62, but people that are 52 are having trouble in the job market competing with younger, better educated people, never mind a guy that's uh, 62 who's been – you know, busting his hump for 20 yeah. years plus at, a, at an employer for sure. Uh, the email address, by the way, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Carl, you're up next. Carl says, you know, I want to keep my children home from school, but my employer is saying that I have to come back to the office as of mid-September. Can they force me back to the office? Yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, I understand and sympathetic that you're, you're probably scared for your children's health and your own health and your family's well-being. But unless you can, you know, show that there's a health-related risk that you have particularly, you know, with a doctor's note, or unless there's, you know, some other really good, probably usually health-related reason why you can't send your kids to school, you know, at this point, the government has said it's safe to go back to school, and we have to, you know, take that essentially at face value. You've got this child care option available to you, and really, when it comes to family status, you know, you have to utilize that as a first step. Um, I understand you may want to continue working from home, and I'm, I'm probably sure it's worked, you know, quite well because I've talked to a lot of people who've really, you know, embraced remote uh, working. But that said, you can't just make a unilateral decision to keep your kids home and therefore tell your employer, I'm also staying home. What if there is, uh, what if there is a problem with, uh, with either daycare or sending your kid back to school? Not your end, not that you don't want to stay. It's just you have trouble sending them away. They're not going to be able to for the foreseeable future. Is there some accommodation that needs to be made by your employer? Well, when it comes to you know this general uh, this general ground of discrimination that the code identifies, which is called family status, John, right. it, it's one of those really fairly new grounds of discrimination that hasn't doesn't have a lot of case law behind it. But basically, the law that has been created by the tribunal and the courts, you know, essentially says that you've got to try to find, you know, before asking your employer for accommodation here. You have to look around and make sure you've exhausted all day childcare options. So, right. you know, that may mean looking into daycare or a nanny or, you know, talking to parents or siblings and things like that. Once you can prove that you've exhausted all reasonable options, at that point, you can come to your employer and say, I need accommodation and I need, you know, whatever that may be. Maybe I need to work from home, as, uh, as Carl was mentioning or whatever works in terms of accommodation, you can request that. And again, work with your employer to figure something out. The number, 416-870-6400 to reach out, get your call on the air, ask your question. We'd love to talk to you. Still got uh, plenty of time here 
on this Wednesday night edition of the Employment Law Show. Again, 416-870-6400. Jason, your email's up next. says, I was laid off in March, and I don't think my company plans on bringing me back. How long do I have to wait? Yeah, um, and I, really what I would say that is, you know, the end of this week, early next week, again, those regulations are expiring and employers need to have a plan uh, and reach out to employees and give them some update on what's going on. Because if they don't by that time and they haven't given you an indication of are you going to be recalled, or are you going to be put back on temporary layoff, what's the plan? I would say at that point, you have a pretty good argument to say that's constructive dismissal. Lisa is up next. You want that email address, help at employmentlawyer.ca, or anytime you want to go there, you can uh, you can just call Stan or remember the team, one 821-5900. Lisa says, guys, I am immunocompromised and have been away from the office since March. They've started to ask when I think I can come back, but I'm very worried about my health. Can they make me return to work? So when, so essentially what it sounds like here is that Lisa has a medical condition or disability that yep. she needs to have accommodated by her employer. And ultimately, I mean, the best way to do that is to go and see your doctor and get them to provide you with a medical note that sets out what your accommodation needs to be. Because really, at the end of the day, John, you know, Lisa, neither Lisa or the employer are in a position to provide any sort of medical declarations or advice. Only a doctor can do that. And once a doctor has put on, on a piece of paper to an employer on a medical note, that this person is, you know, has certain issues, medical health issues, and they need this type of accommodation, you, that creates a positive obligation on the employer to accommodate that uh, medical disability up to the point of undue hardship. And if that means allowing Lisa to stay at home, especially because she's been staying at home from March, and I'm assuming it's working you know, relatively well, they may have to allow her to do that or would well, have to allow her to do that, I should say. Now they're asking, which I think is still within their legal right, they're asking when she thinks she can come back. That is uh, that is prognosis. They can ask that. Now diagnosis, on the other hand, they're not allowed to ask that particular set of questions, are they? Absolutely right, John. No employer no. is allowed to know about your health, underlying health conditions. Uh, the only things that they're really allowed to know are what is the prognosis, as you said, when are you going to be back, and also what what are your restrictions and limitations? How can we as the employer accommodate you when you are ready to come back? Beyond that information, they're really not allowed to know anything about your medical health issues. You want to have a question about going back to work? Like I said, whether it's COVID-related or otherwise, we're getting a ton of emails, of course, and calls about uh, about stuff that's COVID-related. It makes so much sense. People are starting to flow back into the workplace now. Uh, 416-870-6400 is a way to get through. George, you're up next, fellas, says... Hi, Stan. My wife recently traveled by air and has been in quarantine for five days. Uh, My boss is asking that I get a COVID test to prove that I'm not infected before letting me come back to work. Do I? I've never heard this question before. Do I have to go get tested? It's a great question. Uh, That is a great question. Absolutely. You know, really, you know, it's a really gray area, I would say, George, because obviously, like we just said, in a lot of ways, your employer is not allowed to know about your underlying health conditions. And, you know, clearly, if you got a COVID test, they would know whether you had COVID or not. Uh, At the same time, you know, the government has said that people who have, you know, even been in contact with an individual who might be infected should go out and get tested. So, 
I would say in a situation like this, the normal rules that we use about, you know, not allowing employers to ask for uh, for really in what we call an independent medical examination, essentially similar to this COVID testing, or not allowing employers to know certain things about an underlying health condition, certain rules I think would be relaxed in this particular instance because we know this person's at risk for being infected. We know that there's significant risk to the workplace by laying them back in, which, you know, creates significant liability as well for the employer. Mm-hmm, and, sure. and, put it, and, you know, putting that all together, I, I can see a court allowing the, in these particular set of facts an employer to ask for that type of information. The number 416-870-6400. Phones are quiet. you got lots of room and time to get on the air here and ask your questions. Uh, in the meantime, we'll get to James. A lot of emails coming through as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. People are, I guess, I bashful. They want to use the, uh, the email instead. That's cool. James says, uh, I was terminated after eight years, and they haven't provided me with any severance as the claim that my performance was subpar. This is completely untrue, and they have never even discussed this with me before. I feel the real reason is that the company is hurting financially and they are trying to avoid payment. What are my rights and what can I do? So, James, I mean, terming an employee for performance issues is a, for cause is a really, really hard thing to do. And it's a yeah. really high standard, especially so if you're talking about a guy who's been around for eight years. Because the obvious question that any court's going to ask is, well, if he's such a terrible employee, why did you keep him around for eight years? <sighs> And and it's unfortunate, you know, I, I see situations like this often where companies will start throwing things, you know, at employees at, at towards the end of the employment relationship to try to come up with some reasoning that they can let them go and use that as a defense and to pay them less money. Ultimately, when it comes to cause, if an employer is the one that's arguing cause, they are the one who they are the ones who have to establish that you, what you did, first of all, that you actually did it, what they say you did, and secondly, that what you did amounts to cause, amounts to making the employment relationship irreparable, as, huh. as, kind of, as the courts have said. So in, in that vein, again, I, I find it very, very unlikely that James's employer would be any, able to establish cause. And if the company is hurting financially, you know, I would think the last thing they need is a lawsuit and, and a lawyer chasing them down uh, and pushing them through the court system and making them spend money on their own lawyers. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, again, I, I sympathize and empathize with a lot of employers in this situation, but this is not the right way to cut costs. Uh, and oftentimes it doesn't even end up sending, saving you money when you're talking about getting lawyers involved. You know, you treat people fairly, give them a fair severance package, and that's the best way to really to handle these situations. Reaching out anytime. By the way, we do the show Monday night, Wednesday night, the weekend shows, and uh, there's also the Employment Law Show on Global TV and CTV on your weekend mornings as well. You want to go to uh, employmentlawyer.ca for details on how you catch any of those other shows and where to get them. And you can go there anytime. Uh, Lavi, Lavi's next, says, I worked for a company for four and a half years. That company was bought by a new owner, and I worked for him for another three years. They just recently let me go and told me that I am only owed three weeks payment slash severance. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, certainly, Lavi, I would say that's not probably not right. And at best, it's your absolute minimum entitlement. So, 
you know what this what's essentially going on here, John, is that this new owner thinks that this when he bought the company, Lavi became a new employee of his, and therefore that's when his start date starts ticking from. Now that's certainly not how it works at law. Firstly, you know, very often, unless you've got a contract that you're making your new employee sign when you buy a new business, the law is going to imply that you've inherited those years of service with the previous company because you're buying, when you're buying the business, you know, you're buying the assets, you're buying the machinery, you're buying the accounts receivables, but oftentimes you're, you're buying the employees as well and you're buying the skills that they offer and they come with. And for those reasons, the law will usually imply that yeah. you uh, that you recognize their service. Now, you can certainly rebut that uh, if it's what we call an asset purchase, where you're not buying the shares of the corporation, you're just buying the assets of the company. Uh, you can actually make the, new, the employee sign a, a new contract that says that they are new employees. Uh, you do still have to recognize their years of service for the purpose of the Employment Standards Act, because that, there's actually a provision in there that says, any sale of business uh, where you're where there's any sort of sale or transfer of an employee, that new company has to recognize their previous years of service for the purposes of the act. But other than for the, the purposes of the act, you can actually limit their entitlements and say that those last four and a half years don't count. Uh, but in what's going on here again is that he's giving him not probably his minimum entitlements under the act. Uh, even at best, if you consider them a three-year employee without a contract, they're still getting more than a week per year. Uh, you know, the basic rule of thumb oftentimes is a month per year, and certainly that would be a lot more appropriate than a week per year in Levy's situation. Let's get to uh, Jessica. We got enough time here. Jessica writes in and says, guys, I was laid off in March due to COVID. My manager just called me and said they want to bring me back next week, but my job will be changing. They are basically merging my job with another woman's who was let go apparently for cost reasons. This is double the work, and I'm not sure I can handle that. They haven't even mentioned any form of compensation. Do I have to accept this during COVID? Honestly, Jessica, I would say you don't have to accept that. I mean, again, all, all sympathy to the employer and the financial situation they're in, but they can't just expect an employee to to take on two jobs, essentially doubling their workload and then paying them the exact same thing. Uh, even you know, forget about the compensation side of things, John. Just doubling someone's workload is completely unreasonable. I mean, if you already work a full time job. And they're asking you to work another full-time job. That's an insane amount of hours. Uh, At the end of the day, nobody has to accept that kind of, you know, imposition on their time and family life. And if you don't want to, you can claim that as, as, as a constructive dismissal. Absolutely, Jessica. And let me take it one step further. If Jessica wants to be, you know, the good soldier and help out, even though this is, seems to be an unbearable amount of work, like you said, it, it's it's one working for the work of two. If she did accept this and carried on this way for a few months, I mean, now it's become what they, I guess they call an implied term of employment. Or And if they wanted to do it again, add more duties, now she can't turn around and say, no, no, I'm out of here because it's kind of, it's kind of burned into place, no? Yeah, uh, you're very right. Right, John. I mean, very similar to how I've been saying that, you know, if you if your employer has laid you off and brought you back and you've essentially you know, acquiesced to their authority to do that, you know, same thing applies here. If they you know, double your workload, give you all these new duties, 
and you be, uh, become a good soldier and just decide to take it on the chin and, and just push through, you've essentially given them the authority to manipulate the duties and responsibilities that you have. And that may mean dumping even more work on you sometime down the line. You know, George writes in uh, quickly. He said the exact opposite. He said, my employer has cut my hours by 30%. I don't know if they cut his pay by 30%, but they cut his hours by 30%. He says, what do I do? Same, you know, the same thing. Uh, essentially, yeah. we talked about earlier with the person who had their wages cut. You don't have to accept these changes, especially, I mean, certain, you know, oftentimes if they just cut your hours, not too many people are going to complain about that unless the compensation is being cut as well. And when you're talking about, again, 25, 30% cut in compensation, we're talking about a significant chunk of an individual's income. Most people probably can't just go without 30% of their family budget. And in those situations, the law says very clearly, you don't have to accept that. You can treat that change as a constructive dismissal and fight and go and get your severance from your employer. And we'll just about uh, wrap it there for the evening. Good stuff. Stan Fainselberg was our guy. You want to reach out to Stan or Lior, member of the team, do so now. one 821 5900 That would be the number anytime. PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca is a place to get a, a, a treasure trove of employment law information. There's even a section on disability law as well because they cross over so many times in your work life. That is well the email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Stick around. Our friend, our pal, Arlene Bynan, coming right back with lots more on point. That is happening right after this on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.